Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we this morning? It's great to have you guys with us today, and if you're new with us, we're actually finishing a series called Preaching to the Choir. What we do every summer is we explore the values of Thrive Church. Uh, most churches you visit have, the same, you have similar beliefs. I have so many friends that are pastors in Richmond, and our churches believe you know, pretty much the same thing, which is awesome, but each church has different values, whether they're spoken or unspoken. And we have four major values at Thrive. The first week we had Pastor Andrew Delgado from Revive Church. They're actually planting a church out of our Richmond campus. Using our fellowship hall on Saturday nights, they're going to uh, plant a Saturday night church there in, uh, in the city of Richmond, and we're helping them. So we talk about multiplication. And so we don't talk about multiplication. We wanted to show you we're all about multiplication, about we're helping him with finances, with people, with resources. Uh, week two, we talked about living on mission. Remember that? Like the great commandment, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That will lead you, if you have that heart, into going into all the world and making disciples of all nations. That will lead you to the great commission. And last week, I talked to you about maturity. And one of the greatest ways to understand how mature you are and how to mature in Christ is how you receive correction. Are you, do you have a teachable spirit and are you humble? And today what I want to talk to you about is one of the things that is so important, I believe, to the local church. And I want to answer the, I want to answer the question today, why are Sundays still one of the most segregated times in America today? And I want to show you this morning why Thrive we're glad we're flipping that script, right? So I grew up in a uh, very small town, town of 300. Somebody says, I, you know, I grew up in a small town like Prince George. It's like, no, 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 town of 300, unincorporated, Turkey, North Carolina. The closest town next to us was about 3,000 people. Uh, we were in a very rural area known for having the most hog farms in all of North Carolina in Sampson County, North Carolina. So I grew up in, a, in, in really in the rural south where everything was, when I say segregated, it wasn't just like, you know, race, but it was uh, definitely your culture. Like you were just very narrow in your culture. There wasn't much diversity in what you could experience in life. And so I grew up just not knowing a whole lot. Well, um, after I gave my life to Christ, the, the, I started a punk rock band, as I told you guys, a Christian band. And the Lord just blessed us in this little town. He's, he, had, he connected me with musicians, and we ended up cutting albums, and we ended up touring the United States of America. And what that did for me was every night I was in a different city, and I was around believers who would usually host us and let us stay at their home, and we played with a lot of non-believers, people who weren't Christians. Our shows were, a lot of them were non-Christian shows. And these people in the scene we played in hated Jesus, hated Christians, tattoos against Christians and songs against Christians. And so we were Christians. And so I, what it taught me was, it taught me, number one, to understand there's different cultures of even Christianity in America. Uh, if you go to California, California Christians are different than rural North Carolina Christians, right? If, if you've been there or lived there, you know it's just different. Uh, I began to understand different cultures of people who didn't believe and why they didn't believe in Jesus and why they hated Christianity. Um, I was forced to be in diverse environments where I disagreed with these people on the very foundation of my faith, but I learned from them. And you know what else? I'm still friends with them to this day. We're like cheering each other on in life, and we're, we develop good friendships. And one of the guys, if somebody passes away, man, we're all grieving together and mourning together, even though we were uh, in such diverse disagreements with things. Not only that, I had never eaten, and you're going, it's going to blow your mind. I'd never eaten at an Olive Garden. 
until I was 23 years old. And here's why. We would drive through some of these towns and cities, and like we played in one city, had an olive garden. We drove, I thought it just sold olives. And I'm like, I hate olives. I would never eat there. That's what I thought. So I met my wife at 23 years old, and she was very cultured. She's very cultured and classic. And in college, like when we went to college, she ended up doing plays and musicals. And she was like just all into all this like arts and different things and very smart and scientific. And I was none of that. And so she introduced me to all these different types of foods and different cultures. It even got to the point with this. So like four years ago, we went to Ireland. And before we went to Ireland, here we, this was my mindset. It's not this anymore. But I literally told her, I said, I don't really want to fly that long. I don't want to go to another country. I was like, I think America's the greatest country on earth, and I can experience all I need to here in America, right? It's got, you know, I, can go, I can go to the Northwest and go to this and go to that. I can go to Grand Canyon. And I was like, I can just watch a video about Ireland if I really want to know about Ireland. She's like, I'm not going to take you then. I was like, no, okay, fine. I, know I want to go. But that was my mindset. It's like, America, man, I don't need anything else. And she took me to Ireland. It was amazing to go on that trip to be in a different culture in a different place. And she helped me understand this whole thing about like, you know, just diverse cultures and diverse environments and kind of, you know, experiencing things you wouldn't normally experience in life. And what I want to talk to you about today is how diversity is a key for Thrive Church. Why? Because the church in America, as I said before, on Sundays is still one of the most segregated places on planet Earth. And one of our values at Thrive is called sharing in meals together. You probably were given a, connect, a, a um, small group card. Maybe uh, Paul or one of those guys gave you one. Um, we have a value called meals, M-E-A-L-S, meals. And here's why. In Acts 2.42, one of the practices of the early church was they shared in meals together. Remember back then, you didn't have a lot of entertainment and stuff to do. There wasn't a TV to gather around and things like that to do. They shared in meals together. They ate together. They did life together. And at Thrive, one of our driving forces and factors is I'm not trying to build a church. I want to build a community, a community of people who build friendships together here at Thrive, who have relationship together, who, who begin to, to grow together. And that's why meals is so important for us. But if you're going to live out this value of meals, and if you're going to get in small groups and serve teams, if you're going to really dive into Thrive, and maybe you're new to Thrive, understand that it will be that you will experience diversity here at Thrive, and we love that. But can I say something? One of the greatest church leaders ever in the Bible didn't enjoy diversity. He didn't like diversity. He fought against diversity, and he was the apostle Peter. We all think Peter's greatest failure was deserting Jesus. But Peter, after Jesus rose from the dead and gave Peter the keys to the church to lead the church, Peter had a really, really bad mess up in the early church. So what happened was this. Understand that Christianity, when it was birthed, was not Christianity for Christians. It was Jewish. Jesus was Jewish. The earlier, early believers were all Jewish. And they believed, like, hey, look, we're going we're gonna to accept Christ as our Savior and still be fully Jewish, which they could be if they wanted to. That's fine, but here's the problem. They were all huddled together in Jerusalem. They were all reaching Jews. Things were going great. And then persecution of the Christians uh, began to come. And when that happened, they scattered. Stephen was stoned. Saul, you know, oversaw his killing. And they began to go to other parts where there were people beginning to hear the gospel who were non-Jewish, like me and you. They didn't know what to do with it. They had no clue how to deal with this. 
It's like, what do we do? Like, so our Jewish culture and laws tell us, 613 laws tell us they've got to be circumcised to be, you know, in order to be accepted by God. That's a, that's a Jewish law. They've got to begin to obey the laws. They've got to begin to, to go to synagogue. And so they had all these lists of rules that were given Gentiles as they got saved, as they accepted Jesus. And said, yeah, you can be saved, but you've got to do all this too. And the guy who oversaw Stephen's uh, death, his name was Saul, ended up changing his name to Paul. His, his life was transformed. And for 14 years, Paul was alone getting mentored by Jesus and the Holy Spirit studying the Old Testament scriptures, and the Lord revealed to him, these Gentiles, these non-Jews can be saved, and they don't need to do everything that the, that the Jews need to do. It's by faith alone, not by works, and all this. So here's what happens. Paul uses, or God uses Paul and Barnabas to begin to minister to all these Gentiles, and God's doing a powerful work. And not only that, but watch this. This is super important. Right around the same time, maybe a little before that, Peter is on the roof praying, and God gives him a vision. And the vision is this. It's like a sheet coming down from heaven, and there's four corners on it, and it comes down, and it has all these unclean animals they weren't allowed to eat as Jews. And as it comes down, God tells Peter, don't call unclean what I've called clean. Super important here. Because they viewed certain foods as unclean. You could not have a barbecue sandwich right? There's, you, you are not eating bacon, and you were not to eat with Gentiles, non-Jews, for any reason, or you, know, you were unclean. And he sees this vision, he's praying, it happens, and at the same time, a knock comes at the door. And a guy shows up at Peter's door. He doesn't know this guy. This guy doesn't know Peter. The guy says, you Peter? He's like, yeah. He's like, hey, well, I've got a message for you. Whatever God showed you, it's true. Peter has confirmation for that. That's how powerful it is, that now these Gentiles should be accepted, and you're not bound to all the Jewish laws. Remember I told you uh, last week and a few weeks ago that Matthew 16, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven, has nothing to do with you and me. It's all about Peter. That Peter was going to actually loose the Jews from having to be so tied to the Jewish law. And, give to, and, and he's re rewriting all of this for them. So Peter had this very, very special role, but here was Peter's problem. After Gentiles began to get saved, he would go and check things out with James and some of the other guys to see how things were going. Because let's, let's go to these Gentile churches that Paul's planting. They're all mostly, mostly non-Jews. And let's see what's really happening here. And the Apostle Paul writes a letter to the church at Galatia. If you have your Bibles, you can look at Galatians chapter 2. Uh, most scholars believe this is probably Paul's first letter. He writes to the church at Galatia, and here's what his thing. He was, he was telling them, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. You don't have to do the works of the Jewish law to be saved. He's telling the, the, the Galatians. He said, if anybody shows up and tells you that, they're right. even if Peter, James, or John, even if an angel from heaven shows up and preaches another gospel, then what I preach to you, they're wrong. And then Paul gives them some inside information that they didn't know about Peter and Paul. And this is really, it is the greatest conflict they had, and it will show you what Peter struggled with, and probably what may be his greatest failure. It says, verse 11 of Galatians chapter 2, but when Peter came to Antioch, and that's the place where all the non-Jews were getting saved, people like you and I, Paul says this, I had to oppose him to his face. That word face there means actor's mask. He was two-faced. For what he did was very wrong. For when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised. Remember, that was a no-no in the Jewish religion. Don't do that. 
you're unclean. That's what his culture told him. But afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Peter knew better than that. He was being two-faced, and he was being prejudiced and slightly racist toward these people here. And Paul said, I'm calling you out to your face. And here's the thing. Peter was not comfortable with diversity. The apostle Paul was. He was able to and allowed the Lord to shape his heart. He was the leading Jewish teacher in all, all the uh, Jerusalem. So Paul should have been the one that would have done that. No, 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 no. Paul accepted these guys. He began to minister to them. Peter, on the other hand, guess what? He was two-faced. He was scared of criticism, and he rejected that. Now, here's what I want you and I to understand about diversity. This is so important. Because a lot of times we say diversity, and that's a good word. But here is where the problem lies. And here's what we can identify with Peter. And it's this. If you have your notes handy, write this down. Diversity means there may be some discomfort. That's what diversity means. Diversity means there may be some discomfort. It means this here, that when you're around people that are different than you and different values than you and different thoughts than you and different ways of growing up than you, there's going to be uncomfortable conversations that you have. Like for me, when I toured and people didn't believe in Jesus, matter of fact, they hated Jesus, we had some uncomfortable conversations. That diverse environment caused some discomfort for me. And anytime you're in a diverse environment, guess what? There'll be some discomfort along the way. And here's the problem with Christianity many times. Churches on Sunday mornings are extremely segregated. We have white churches, we have black churches, we have Hispanic churches, we have, you know, I mean, it's, it's a, and sometimes you do, if it's a language-based church, you do have to have that, right? If you can't speak the language. But many of it, many times our churches are segregated because we, we have the problem like Peter had. We're just uncomfortable with any environment that's different than us. One of the saddest things that, that I see so much in Christianity that, that grieves my heart is this. If I asked you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you actually leaned into following Jesus, I said, who are the friends in your life that are non-believers that you hang out with that believe different in politics than you and don't share the same faith in Jesus? There would be, a, there would be very few Christians that actually do life with people. Because like, oh, they don't believe like me. They don't vote like me. Oh, they, they use bad language. Well, that's what they do. They're non-Christians. But so many of us are so, are so scared of having friendships and relationships and, and, and these, uh, being in diverse environments with people that are different than us. Diversity does mean discomfort. But can I tell you, if you're going to live out the value of meals, if you're going to do that and be in a, in a church even like Thrive, there will be some discomfort because you won't get to just hang out with people just like you. And that, that's, that's what I love is to find people who aren't like me and get to hang out with them. It's tough. So, so here's what you have to understand about a church that is diverse, especially about Thrive Church, is this here. A diverse church causes us to step outside of our normal friendship comfort zones. That's the beauty of a diverse church. Like the past two semesters, I've been able to host um, our newbies and, and gathering. You know, and what I love about all the new people who come to Thrive and are in this small group, we're so completely different. Our ages, our races, our socioeconomical status, like everything's just so different, and it's beautiful. And what I hear here at Thrive so much is that there are people who never had a close 
relationship or friendship with someone of the opposite race that now at Thrive, they're like, man, they're now one of my best friends because of that. And that's what a diverse church causes you to do. It causes you to have to step outside of those comfort zones. And Peter had that opportunity. He went to a Gentile church, and he said, oh, I don't want any of that. And so my heart here at Thrive Church is that you experience diversity. The beauty of this church, guys, is when you come in on any given Sunday, if you're watching my broadcast, this is what you don't get. But if you're here at either one of our campuses, we're extremely diverse in ages, in race, in, in cultures, people from different nationalities. And I'm telling you, this is something unique that God is doing at Thrive that you don't get to see everywhere, Right? And so when you engage in a church like Thrive, the beautiful thing is it's going to cause you to develop friendships outside of your normal friendship comfort zones where you get to talk to people who are different ages than you. Maybe they believe differently on a political view than you do, or maybe they have a different way of growing up than you have, and maybe they're even used to a different style of church. And so that's the beauty, and that's why we push you to groups. That's why we push you to teams so you can experience true diversity. But here lies the problem, and here's where the struggle is going to be. And I, I want to share this with you. And it's this. The problem that we will face is running to our homogeneous group when we're in a diverse environment. Let me say it one more time. The problem that we will face is running to our homogeneous group that look like us, that sound like us, that act like us, that agree with us on every point when we're in a diverse environment. That's what Peter did. He went and hung out with the Gentiles. He ate with them. As soon as some of James' friends showed up and these other Jews showed up, he left the Gentiles and would not eat with them anymore. And Paul said, you're wrong. You're a hypocrite and you're two-faced. And so many times that's our drift. Let's run toward the group that we, gra that we gravitate most toward because of our same values and beliefs and things like that. One thing about Thrive is I hear is that people say, I just love the diversity of Thrive Church. And it, right? Like, like some of you are like, man, this is what really has drawn us here. I've heard people over and over again say that. And I heard one person here, and this is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, uh, that told me that the reason that we come and we drive actually a little further is because we love the diversity. We live in a suburban white neighborhood. Our child goes to an all-white school. We have all white friends, all white neighbors, and they're so excited they get to come and experience diversity here at Thrive. This is why we come and we're here. But here lies the problem. Most people, when they get in a, an environment like this, it causes them to have to work harder at friendships and relationships. It's not as easy as when everybody dresses and looks like you, right? And everybody acts like you in the same age as you and same background they run to their own homogeneous group because it's easier for us. Can I, can I tell you that I believe that our children need diversity as well, right? They need to be in diverse environments. They need to be around friends who look different and skin is different, and they need to be involved in that. But the problem is we run to either our, our white group or our black group or our Hispanic culture group, and we run to those groups. Nothing wrong with that. If you go to a, a church that is primarily your class, I'm not beating that down. Understand me now. I've got friends who pastor, and their churches are primarily what they look like as a pastor. That's no problem. What I'm saying is, though, is this. If you're in a diverse environment, you've got to check yourself and say, why do I keep running to a homogeneous group that looks like me and acts like me? Why can't I get into a diverse group? Because it's hard 
for us to do that. And we got to make sure that we, as followers of Jesus, embrace diversity. So I want to say this about diversity because it's a buzzword in today's culture, right? And diversity, I want you to understand this and write this down. This is key. Is don't confuse diversity with conformity and uniformity. I'm going to say it one more time. Nobody said amen. Don't confuse diversity with conformity and uniformity. He said, oh, yeah, no, no, that's true. But that's what Peter was doing. That's what the early church was doing to Gentiles, to you and I. If you would have gotten saved, they said, oh, yeah, we're so glad you accepted Christ. Oh, we, we, we followed Jesus personally. Peter's like, I, I was there. We're so glad. But here's the thing. You come on in. I don't care if you're from, you know, Asia Minor or you're from somewhere else. You come on into our fold, but here's what you've got to do. We want you to get circumcised and attend synagogue and attend our festivals and attend our feast and do all of our stuff like Jews. So he wanted diversity, but not really. He wanted everybody that was different to come in and, and be uniformed and conform to his way. And that's what the Jews were doing. Paul says, no, 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 that's the whole argument of the New Testament. They don't have to do that. Because what was happening, they weren't redeeming people to Christ. They were trying to redeem people to Christ and their cultural ways. And you may say, well, that's, uh, that's not very important in the church today. Guys, I am amazed that I'm even a Christian today. Because when I got saved, that's what happened to me. I gave my life to Christ. I didn't have a suit to wear to church. It was back in 1999 in the rural south. Um, and I had leopard print hair. <laughs> I skateboarded. I played punk rock music. And the church was like, oh, yeah, that's so cool. But how can we get you to look like the rest of the kids in youth group? They wear polos tucked into khakis. Do you have any? I didn't look like them. And they were like, oh, that's cool. You love you. you. Yeah, you've been transformed. You love Jesus. But how do we get you to draw? Can you quit playing that music, even though it's about Jesus? Can you quit playing punk rock music or listening to a lot of Christian hip hop? Because, you know, it's just not, it just makes us feel uncomfortable. I don't understand it. Can you dress like us? And what they wanted, they said, we will accept you as long as you conform to everything we want you to conform to. Friends, when you're in a diverse environment, people will disagree and be different. And in our political like, framework right now, it's sick. The moment you disagree with someone about something, then you're cast out. That's not how diversity works, friends. Diversity works when we can disagree about something and still love each other. When we, when we maybe come from different backgrounds or cultures, and I'm not trying to get you to come over to my cultural ways of doing things, right? I want you to follow Jesus. And so many times in our culture today, we use the word diversity when really it's just uniformity. Because if you don't believe and say every, I mean, to kind of be honest with you, I mean, what the Bible says about certain things. Let's, let's talk about, you know, LGBTQI plus and all that. Let's just be real about it. What it says about homosexuality, it's very clear about it. It doesn't matter what Pastor Kevin believes about it. It's about what the Bible says. I can disagree with you on that and still be your friend and love you and share meals with you and disagree with you about what the Bible says about that. I'm not a bigot. I'm not a homophobe. Amen? I'm not scared of anybody who's gay. I, we got my wife and I have friends who are gay. We got friends who believe way different than we believe politically. And I'm not scared of them. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, like this. We can disagree on the fundamentals of Scripture and still be friends. And if you're going to be in a diverse environment, if you're going to understand and embrace diversity, stop running to all the groups that think just like you do. 
Stop running to all. It's funny if you watch all the things that go on, like people that are screaming about, about, about diversity. They're not diverse. They all believe and think the same way. Diversity is when we get together and say, hey, look, we may have fundamental differences on some certain things, but I can still have a relationship with you and eat with you. Peter couldn't do that with, with the Jews. And here at Thrive Church, what I love is you're going to get a chance, if you want it, through small groups and serve teams, to be able to be in a diverse environment where there'll be people who have different thought patterns than you do and different things that, that they've experienced in life. And that is the beauty of Thrive Church. And I, I, I want to share this with you because here's, as we close, there are three things that a diverse church and a diverse environment will do for you and will do to you. A truly diverse faith community will, number one, confront a paradigm shift. That's what happened to Peter. He had to shift his whole paradigm of thinking about everything he had ever been taught through Judaism to embrace Christianity. That's what a diverse community will do to you. And a faith community will actually confront any paradigm shifts you need. If there's stuff inside of you that maybe you do have some things that are not good ways of thinking, a good faith community will help you confront paradigm shifts in your life. And I've had many friends that are diverse. One of the things that helped me out tremendously was when I began to meet with pastors when I was in Florida who were all from different denominations. And we all disagreed about three major issues, right? But we had conversations about it. Like, like, like what do you believe about this? And why do you believe that? Yeah, but you know, what I was taught was this. And we would have conversation and not argue. And what I realized there was like, we're, we're like all the same. Like the stuff that, that, that separates us is nothing compares to what unites us. Peter had a paradigm shift that was confronted. The second thing that a truly diverse faith community would do for you is it's going to test your boundaries. If you can't, get, if you can't stay on social media because people don't believe like you believe, then check yourself with that. Because you need some people to test your boundaries. You know, I, I listen to conservative station and to the liberal radio station. There's two. There's 96.1 and 88.9. And I listen to both of them. Now, yeah, do I, do I lean a certain way politically? Yes, I do, certainly. But I always want to hear what the other side is saying to give them the benefit of the doubt or to find out what's happening there. I want my boundaries to be tested. I want my thought process to be tested. I don't want to find people who back up what I believe. I want to find people who will test what I believe and come against what I believe sometimes and actually will prove me wrong. That's what marriage is, right? <laughs> Your spouse is only telling you where you're wrong or something. <laughs> that's why marriage is so hard. But that's the beauty of it too, right? This will test your boundaries. But here's the third thing, and the, I think the most important thing about a diverse faith community and why I love that we have one here at Thrive, and it's this here. It will present to the world what the kingdom of God looks like. If the world really wants diversity, they need to come hang out at Thrive Church one day, right? Amen? If they really want to see getting unified together and uniting together about a common cause, tell them to come visit Thrive Church because this is what the kingdom of God looks like. When you show up every Sunday, this is what heaven's going to look like. It says in Revelation, and I love this verse here, uh, chapter 7, verse 9. And John was, was, getting, was getting a glimpse into heaven and what the future's going to be like, and I love this. He said, after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count. 
from every nation and tribe of people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They're clothed, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hand, and they were shouting with a great roar, Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Many nations and many languages in heaven were all saying the same thing. They were all worshiping Jesus together. That's what heaven's going to be like people who are completely different than you, that have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, all worshiping together. I've said this before, and I really want to hit this home. That's what the world is longing for. They're longing for a diverse faith community. That's what they want. They can be accepted for who they are. There are people, man, who come to Thrive don't even believe in Jesus yet. That's awesome. Come kick the tires of Christianity. Come ask questions. You can come, you can belong before you ever believe. That's what I love about, listen, we have an opportunity here at Thrive to do something that's unique, and that's to present to the world. As people come in here, they think the church are hypocrites. They think the church is nothing but, you know, bigots and this and that. And they come in and see all of us get together. They're like, how, how are all these different people together under one roof doing all of this together and they look happy? We get a chance to do that, guys. So I want to encourage you. Diversity means there will be some discomfort. But that's the beautiful thing, is that when you get to hang out with people who think different and act different, different colors and races and cultures, when you get around them and hang out with them, they're going to make you better in some way, shape, or form. So I want to encourage you. This fall season, as our small groups kick off, the chance to join serve teams, dive in to this diverse faith community. And I guarantee God's going to do some amazing things in your life with the friendships and relationships that you're going to make here at Thrive Church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such a diverse faith community here. Thank you, Lord, that we get a little glimpse into what heaven's going to look like. So God, we pray that we could be a community of believers that as people come in here who don't even believe God, who maybe even reject Christianity, when they see the love that is between us from all different ages and races and classes and groups and everything as we gather together, God, may they, Lord, want what we have, which is you, Father, which is Jesus. We pray today, Lord, that you would let us do that. And I pray for everyone here, Lord God, all of us struggle with the same problem that Peter has. We have these things in our heart, these laws of first truth. There's things we've been taught that just are not true. Root out inside of us anything, Lord God, that would hinder us from loving and connecting with other people, Father, no matter, no matter where they're at in their systems of beliefs, in politics, in whatever it is, Lord. God, we love you, and we ask for the Holy Spirit to prick our hearts and speak to our hearts in the name of Jesus. And as we're praying today, church, maybe your, your next step is to join the family of believers, is to join the kingdom of God, and that's giving your life to Christ. That's surrendering your life to Christ. I know you have many questions. I know you, there's a lot of things you don't know yet. That's okay. God will answer those in, in due time. Don't let that delay you from, from receiving Christ today. 
So if you want to receive Christ today and you know that's you, maybe you want to come back to your faith in Jesus or for the first time ever give your life to Christ, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith, and it's this here. You say, God, I need the Savior. I need Jesus. So today, I confess Jesus as my Lord. For I believe He died on the cross. I believe He rose again on the third day. And I believe He is the Son of God. I believe He is the only way to heaven. So today, I receive Him. I repent of my sins, turn from my old life, and I receive full forgiveness of sins and brand new life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' good name I pray, amen.